Please turn in your Bibles this afternoon to Revelation chapter 22. The last chapter of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22. I trust remember from last week that we considered that Christ is on the throne. We consider the throne of the King. We looked at what it means for us to, to confess that right here, right now, King Jesus is seated on the throne for us. But now we come again to Lord's Day 19 this afternoon and we shift our focus away from the throne of the King and look instead towards the return of the King, how we can take comfort knowing the fact that Christ is seated at God's right hand, but that he shall come again to judge the living and the dead. Let's give our careful attention to the last chapter of the Bible, the final message of the king. Boys and girls, I want you to listen for that. I want you to listen. What are the final words that the king leaves his church? Revelation chapter 22, beginning at verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding each fruit its month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that, for I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil. Let the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they may have the right to the tree of life, and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words, the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Please with me also 
to Lord's Day 19 of the Catechism, we hear also these words from our confession, the last answer, question and answer of our confession, question and answer 52. How does Christ's return to judge the living and the dead comfort you? In all distress and persecution, with uplifted head, I confidently await the very judge who has already offered himself to the judgment of God in my place and remove the whole curse from me. Christ will cast all his enemies and mine into everlasting condemnation. It will take me and all his chosen ones to himself and to the joy and glory of heaven. This is the church's confession throughout the world. May God bless us as we meditate upon it this afternoon. Dear brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, when the time appointed by our Lord has come, and when the number of the elect is, is so complete, our Lord Jesus Christ will come down from heaven bodily and visibly to declare himself judge of the living and the dead. He will burn this world in fire and flame to cleanse it. And then all human creatures will appear in person before the great judge, men, women, and children, all who have lived from the beginning of the world to the end thereof. These are the words of our confession, Article 37 of the Belgian Confession. And so the question the Spirit of Christ would have us to wrestle with today and every day is this. Are you ready? Are you ready for that day? Our confession goes on to describe that day as a day which believers should look forward to with great longing in order to fully enjoy the promises of God in Christ our Lord. Do you long for the return of the King? If you still have your Bibles open, Revelation chapter 22, you'll notice that the final words of promise in verse 20 are followed immediately by a word of prayer. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The Apostle John, of course, has seen glorious, amazing things throughout the course of this book. You, you'd only page through the chapters and look at the headings to, to refresh your memory. In the first chapter, John saw a vision of the Son of Man standing in the midst of the lampstands, wearing a long white robe and a golden sash around his waist, there to show that he is king of his church, that he walks in the midst of his churches. In chapter 4, John saw the throne of heaven where the four living creatures never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. John has heard the rejoicing. He's heard the exaltation of those seated at the table. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory, they say. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. People of God, it's important that we recognize that God has not given us this book. He's not given us the book of Revelation merely for our curiosity. He hasn't given us this book as, as a puzzle that we somehow have to try and solve. But God has given us this book. He has given us our confession about the return of the king to provide his church with immense comfort, to provide his church with, with pictures of hope and joy that ought to propel us forward, to, to long for the day when all these things shall finally be fulfilled. 
The final words of promise in verse 20 are followed immediately by words of prayer. He who testifies these things says, surely I am coming soon. These are the final words of King Jesus. I'm coming soon. I'm coming back for you. And so John responds to that promise by crying out from his heart, Amen. Amen. Let it be. Come. Please come, Lord Jesus. And this is the last recorded prayer in the Bible. What I want to press upon us tonight, people of God, is that these words, this prayer needs to be our prayer. We too need to, to, lead, need to learn to live in the light of the Lord's return. We too need to, to pray, Amen, come Lord Jesus. That's what our and teaches us to do here on Lord's Day 19. Again, we recall from last week and from the first two questions of this, Lord, that the believer can, can say in his heart and confess to the world, King Jesus sits on the throne for me. Now as we come to question and answer 52, we learn to also say, not only does Christ sit on the throne for me, but Christ is coming back for me. We, of course, need to keep in mind that Christ is still the same king today as he was last week. He's still a glorious king, worthy of all our praise. He's still a gracious king, worthy of all our service. He's still a guardian king, worthy of all our trust. And it's in that light that we also confess in question and answer 52 that in all our distress, in all our persecution, in all our pain, with uplifted head, we turn our eyes to the heavens and confidently await as just judge the very one who has already stood trial in our place, who has removed the whole weight of the curse from us. We see tonight, dear saints, that the returning king was cursed for our enmity. We confidently await a king who bore all our sins, who, who endured the wrath of God which was to fall on us. We see in the second place that we have a king who will condemn all our enemies. Christ will cast them into everlasting condemnation, we confess. We'll see finally tonight this king will carry us. He will carry you and me into the eternal joy and glory of heaven. Where the, Apostle Paul has to, where the Apostle John has told us there will no longer be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him, and they will reign with him forever and ever. That's where the king is taking us when he comes back for us. Isn't it a most blessed thought to store up in our hearts and minds tonight, people of God, that, that in a wicked world of, of demons and disease and death, all those who belong to the church of Christ can, can confess to the world, King Jesus is coming back for me. This is the believer's confession. This is my confession. I hope and pray this is your confession as well. As the great Dutch Reform theologian Herman Witsius once wrote, since the return of the king is, is the last act of the reign of Christ, the brightest manifestation of his glory, since the return of the king is the anchor of Christian hope, the most powerful antidote to fleshly security, we ought surely to examine it with no less care and diligence than all the other articles of the Christian faith. For unless the king who is crucified is also the king who is coming back, 
then there is no hope for us. And yet we do begin tonight by reminding ourselves that the returning king was indeed the crucified king. Now, to our surprise, of course, the catechism treats our confession of Christ's return in the context of Christian comfort. You'll notice that's the way the question poses it to us. How does Christ's return to judge the living and the dead comfort you? And we answer that question in the comfort of our faith, don't we? In all my distress and persecution, with uplifted head, I confidently await as just judge the very one who has already stood trial in my place before God and has removed the whole curse from me. Of course, this life is filled with distress. It's filled with many persecutions, isn't it? We live in a hostile world that, that despises Christ, that despises the church of Christ. And yet we also recognize, don't we, that we live in a world where you and I are part of the problem. Because we, when we examine our own hearts, when we examine our own lives, we soon discover that it's often the case that, that we add hurt to our hurt by falling into the same sins of the world. We bemoan how divided our world, how divided our country has become. But then we look at our own hearts, we look at our own rhetoric, and we're forced to ask the question, have I not added to that division? Have I not sometimes been more concerned about being right than being gracious? Or we bemoan how overly sexualized the world has become. But then when we look at our own hearts and our own thoughts, when we look at our own watch lists and our own search histories, we are soon forced to ask the question, have I not fed into that problem? Is not the world in part simply responding to, to my indulgences? And there are, of course, many other sad realities in our society which cause us to do the same, to examine our own hearts, to, to test how earnestly we are living in obedience to the King. And so I trust that most of us tuning in tonight are keenly aware of our sins and of the fact that we deserve the wrath of God to fall upon us on account of those sins. King Jesus says in verse 12 of Revelation 22, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done, whether good or evil. And perhaps at first hearing, that gives us great pause. Christ is coming to repay each one for what he has done. He is coming to, to repay me for all that I have done. And yet, how does the church of Christ respond to that promise? Verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. And the one who is thirsty, the one who, let the one who hears say, come. Verse 20, he who testifies these things says, surely I am coming soon. The church says what? Amen. Come. Come, Lord Jesus. And the church says that, people of God, because she did not be afraid of the return of the king. The church can say, come, come, Lord Jesus, because the promise in, in Revelation 22 and the promise of Lord's Day 19 is that the king returns for her. The king returns for her to take away all her sins, to, to take her as his beautiful bride into the joy and glory of heaven forever. Do you believe that tonight, brothers and sisters, that Christ looks at each one of you and regards you as his beautiful bride. He doesn't 
see you for all your sins and all your failures. He doesn't see your blemishes and your imperfections. But as a bridegroom watches his bride coming down the aisle for the first time, the joy and even tears in his eyes, Christ looks at us in the same way as his beautiful bride. And because of that, we don't need to fear his return. We don't need to fear the, judge, the day of judgment anymore. But rather, we can look forward to it as a soon-to-be husband and wife look forward to their wedding day. And all our distress with uplifted hands, we look toward the heavens. And all our distress and all our persecutions, not with, not with heads hanging low, not still burdened by the shame of our sin, but with uplifted heads, we turn our eyes to the heavens and wait as just judge, the very one who has already stood trial in our place, who has offered himself to the judgment of God and has removed the whole curse from us. King Jesus is coming back for us. He's coming back for you and me because we are the ones for whom Christ died. We, of course, know those familiar words of the apostle, don't we? We know that, that one would scarcely die for a righteous person, that, that perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But how does God show his love for us? God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The returning king was cursed for our enmity. We were the ones who, who drew our lines in the sand and sided with Satan over God. We are the ones who, who turned away from God to, to pave our own path to glory. But Christ died for soldiers who belonged to the rebel army. And in their place, he endured the judgment that was otherwise to have fallen upon them. Yes, all the books will be opened and we too will, will stand before the throne and before the just judge of the universe. But we're going to be fully acquitted of all our sins. The gavel is going to swing down innocent publicly in the sight of all. Because as we confessed a few weeks ago on Lord's Day 15, Christ, though innocent, Christ, though innocent, was condemned by an earthly judge in order that we might be set free from the heavenly judge. And then he was crucified. And, and why was he crucified? To convince us that he shouldered the full weight of the curse of our sins, which lay on us since death by crucifixion was cursed by God. King Jesus bore the torments of hell in our place. So that we could say with great joy, King Jesus is coming back. King Jesus is coming back for us. For there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Reverend Joel Beakey somewhere told the story that there was once a young man or an old sailor on a boat. And they're caught up in, in what appeared to be a life-threatening storm as the winds and the waves are, are whipping by them. But the older sailor is sitting calm. The young man cries out, What? Don't you see that we're in a ferocious storm? Don't you see we're going to die? 
But the older sailor replied, young man, the storm will never touch us for it has already passed. And this is the comfort of every servant of the king. The storm of God's judgment has already passed. It will, it will never turn around to threaten us again. Already now, our citizenship is secure. It is in heaven from where we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform our lowly body, says Paul, to be like his glorious body by the same power that, that enables him to subject all things to himself. This gracious king, we have it now, is interceding for us. He is pouring out gifts from heaven upon us as members, causing us to, to share in the spoils of his victory. He will not condemn us when he returns. For he loved us at the cross, he loves us today. And he will love us then. Despite all your sins, in the day of his appearing, the king will not look you up and down and say, let this one be accursed. Because he has already borne the curse in your place. This is the believer's comfort. This is his confession. That in all his or her distress, he can look to the heavens and wait as just judge, the very one who has already stood trial in his place. But the believer can also be sure of vindication. Christ will cast all his enemies and mine into everlasting condemnation. Of course, we live in a world that chooses to ignore that. We live in a world that, that denies the existence of the just judge of the universe. And they scoff the thought of it. So they continue to follow in their own sinful desires. The, the world says what they've always said in 2 Peter chapter 3. Where is the promise of his coming? Ever since our fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing on the way they've always been from the beginning of creation. But Peter says they overlook the fact that during the days of Noah, God destroyed the whole earth with the flood. And everyone perished except believing Noah and his family. And now Peter says, by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. I'll show you the king is coming to judge, and you'll judge by the standard of his perfect righteousness. As we confess in Article 37 of our confession, all will be summoned by the voice of the archangel and by the sound of the trumpet and the books, that is, the consciences will be opened. The dead will be judged according to the things they did in the world, whether good or evil. And all the secrets and hypocrisies of men will be publicly uncovered in the sight of all. It is not also a great source of comfort for us that in a world of of fake news and a world of people and politicians vying for, for greater power all around the world. On the day of Christ's coming, all secrets, all the hypocrisies of men will be publicly uncovered in the sight of all. All the sorrows, all the persecutions that Christ's church endured on the earth will finally be remedied. And so we can also confess, therefore, with good reason. The thought of this judgment is horrible and dreadful for the wicked. But it is a very pleasant and great comfort for the righteous and the elect. 
For they will then receive the fruits of their labor and all the trouble they have suffered. And their innocence shall be openly recognized by all. And the righteous will see the terrible vengeance that God will bring on the evil ones who tyrannized, oppressed, and tormented them in the world. And the wicked shall be judged by the witness of their own consciences. And they'll be sentenced to the everlasting torment of hell forever. Certainly this is a great source of comfort for us today, but think about how much more this must mean to the people of God around the world who are martyred for their faith in Christ. Think about what this must have meant for the original readers of of Revelation, many of whom come together on the Lord's Day with, with bruises and stripes on their backs, having suffered greatly for the name of Christ. Imagine what this must have meant for the Apostle John as he's been exiled to the island of Patmos. Imagine what this confession must have meant for them in the midst of their persecutions and pain. Christ will cast all his enemies and mine into everlasting condemnation. This is the believer's confession. And yet this confession ought to stir us, people of God, to pray in earnest that even our enemies would come in faith to do as the psalmist says in Psalm 2, to to kiss the son lest he be angry and they perish in the way. For blessed are those who take refuge in him. As Andrew Kivenhoven writes, nevertheless, the knowledge about the everlasting punishment of his enemies and mine is a burden we carry. We must handle it with great care and convey it with great discretion. For we too were once under the curse of sin. But we have a king who stood trial in our place before God. And that needs to be what's at the heart of our message to a broken world. Yes, God's judgment is sure. And the day of judgment is surely to come. But today is a day of grace. In which we say even to our enemies, behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. And we must say that today. We ourselves must take those words to our own hearts today. Because the message of the Bible, the message of Revelation 22, is that there might not be a tomorrow. Yes, today is the day of salvation, but tomorrow might not be. And that should give the world pause. That should give us pause. That if there are any tuning in tonight who have not yet bowed the knee to the king to recognize that there might not be a tomorrow. Our Lord has just said in the previous chapter in Revelation 21 that the one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he'll be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral sorcerers, idolaters, and liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And so if you have not yet repented of your sins and looked to Christ for refuge as a minister of the gospel, am I not obliged to warn you tonight? Am I not called to proclaim in your hearing that you must be ready? You must be ready for the return of the king. Watch, therefore, said Jesus. Watch, therefore, 
for you not you know not neither the day nor the hour of the coming of the Lord. Christ will cast all his enemies and ours in everlasting condemnation, where the worm never dies, where the fire is never quenched, and where the smoke of torment never ceases. And so, men of the gospel plead with you today. Be reconciled to God. Today is the day of salvation. A word of warning for sure. And yet it is a word of warning that's couched within the confines of the promise. That God's people have a king who has stood trial in their place and God's people have a king who will take them and all his chosen ones to himself into the joy and glory of heaven. Listen again to John's wonderful description from the first five verses of Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding each fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads, and the night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. As Vernon Poitras once put it, the final state resolves and restores the unbroken, idyllic communion with God that we once knew in the garden. And yet he says that the apex of human history is, not, is so much more magnificent than the beginning. For the garden of Genesis 1 and 2 has now become a glorious city. And the light has been completely, and the night has been completely driven out by the light. We have the sure testimony of the king tonight. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God, the spirits of the prophets has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. The, the words are trustworthy and true. The return of the king means the final end to all our pain, to all our suffering. The return of the king means an end to all our depression and anxiety. It means an end to cancer and disease. It means an end to isolation and loneliness. The return of the king means an end to all our sin and shame. And so we, here we find the answer to the brokenness of life. Here we discover what ought always to be our prayer in the midst of our own struggles with sin, our own bouts with temptation. Come, Lord Jesus. That we should craft our hearts, Lord, I'm, I'm so sick of my sins. Come, Lord Jesus. I'm so sick of this world. Come, Lord Jesus. I'm so sick of COVID-19. Come, Lord Jesus. The sureness of this final bliss, says Poitras, not only comforts the saints during times of temptation and persecution, but it purifies our desires by directing them to the God in his glory. That all the cheap and tawdry counterfeits of this world are seen to be for what they really are. The return of the king reorients our perspective. 
It gives us eyes to see this world for what it really is, a place of brokenness, a place that, that is not our home. That we're heading to a new place where the tree of life provides healing for the nations. So we must take the king's word to heart. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. For when the king returns to carry us into eternal joy and glory of heaven, says our confession, the faithful and elect will be crowned with glory and honor. The Son of God will confess their names before his Father. All tears will be wiped away from their eyes. And their cause, although it is at present condemned and, and seen as evil in the world, and their cause will be acknowledged as the cause of the Son of God. This is the believer's confession. King Jesus is coming back for me, and he's coming back soon. You may recall from our series of the book of Daniel that among the final things God said to him in his final vision was to, to shut up the words and to seal the book for the time of the end. For the things that Daniel saw referred to today's many days away from him. But what does the angel say to John in verse 10? Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book for the time is near. Do you believe that tonight? That the time is near? He who testifies to these things, the king says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, the grace the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come before you in the midst of our own distress as those who in this place as well as with our brothers and sisters around the world endure life in a hostile world that despises Christ and despises the cause of Christ we lift our eyes to the heavens with uplifted heads. We look to heaven and await the very one who has stood trial in our place. Lord, we pray that you'd give us grace to know that Christ has indeed regard our helpless estate and he has taken away all our sins. That he is the king who, who bore our enmity, who was cursed for our enmity. But if there are any tonight tuning in who, who still see themselves in their sins, that you would grant them grace to see themselves as Christ sees them, a beautiful bride, without spot, without blemish, without imperfection or failure. Father, we thank you for the promise that you will vindicate us against all our enemies, that Christ will indeed cast all his enemies and ours into everlasting condemnation. We pray, Lord, this promise would give us pause. And if there are any tuning in tonight who have not yet bowed the knee to the King, that you would impress this confession upon their hearts, that today is a day of salvation, but tomorrow might not be. Lord, we thank you that Christ is coming back for us to carry us into the eternal joy and glory of heaven. 
Lord, teach us to pray. Come quickly. Teach us to live in light of that promise. For we have a tendency, Lord, to become so preoccupied with all the things of this world. And while dreams for the future are good and goals are good, they need to be couched in the context of the greater goal, the greatest dream, the most fervent prayer, come. Come, Lord Jesus. Lord, if it is your will, we pray that the King would come tonight. At this very night, we would be woken up from our sleep at the sound of the trumpet and that all Christ's saints would be meeting him in the air, that we might not even need to see death. But if he tarries, give us patience and give us fervency of faith. For Jesus' sake, amen.